How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. I want to introduce Dr. Joshua Barakas, who is here with us tonight, who is uh, an infectious disease specialist from Boston Medical Center, assistant professor, and doing all sorts of things. So welcome, doctor. We are so glad to have you here tonight. Hi, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. We are delighted. Um, so I, I, you know, this is clearly uh, on everyone's mind, the pandemic. It is something that we have been talking about really since a lot of the intensity of it started. But we have not had a specialist like you to sort of guide us and educate us um, so what we'd like to, to do is just hear sort of where things are right now. I mean, the news is changing all the time. Where are things at? Yeah. So, um, well, first again, thanks for having me. This is, uh, I think always a good opportunity to, um, get outside my, my little academic bubble and, and, uh, and, and really, uh, get to the meat of things. Um, so it's a tough question. I'll just I'll put that out there, right? So I think, uh, and and there are a couple reasons why that's a tough question. I think that um, where we are is a somewhat of an individual question. I think that everyone is struggling with this on their own, on their own personal level. Um, uh, five months in quarantine um, can be very difficult, um, no matter what the the good is from that. Um, overall, um, you know, we're, we're here in Massachusetts and Boston. Um, things are, um, are, are steady. Uh, I'll say that steady and stable. You know, when, when we, we evaluate a, a patient just in general, we report back on their vitals, right? So and we, we like to say that their vitals are normal and stable. And right now, Things are definitely not normal, but they're at least stable, um, and that's in Massachusetts. And I think that that that's there's a lot of reasons behind that. Um, we we hit our surge um, back in April and May, where we saw our our largest caseload, um, and um, and we've taken some very aggressive measures. Um, I think that the citizens of Massachusetts, by and large, have have really sort of stepped up and helped get things stable. Uh, we can't say the same thing for the rest of the country. Hold on. Let, let's stop there for a moment. I mean, first of all, there's there's the acronym, right? VSS, vital signs stable. So are we saying that the virus signs are stable right now as well? I think, Massachusetts? That, I think that when you look at the numbers across Massachusetts, the number that we look at is the R, R-naught or RT, which is the reproductive number. And to boil that down, it's effectively... Um, this idea that um, you know that your epidemic is on its way out anytime it you're sort of under under one. 
So anything under one, and that's a good thing. Anything over one, and that means that that you're you're producing more virus in the community than you're getting rid of. Hmm. Um, that's that's the most sim- the most simplest way that I can put it. And right now, our RT, uh, the, the reproductive number at this point in time, is right around one. It's crept up a little. Right when we, right at the beginning of June, um, when our uh, some of our quarantine ended, um, we were at 0.82, which is good. Um, back in April, March, we were at 1.8, 1.2. Um, and so we really brought it down, and that's thanks to a lot of a lot of very, I, I want to say, really hard work, not just from. Uh, government officials and doctors and nurses but honestly it's a it's a community effort right i i can say whatever i want to say and um if nobody listens then nothing's going to happen um and so it is it was a community effort to get it down below one and now we're we're right around one so there's there's cause for uh you know that that if you're going to equate it to to the vital signs right right before you have that high blood pressure mm-hmm. and and you said that that it's really the people of massachusetts who are listening to the experts like you because you're right if, if you can listen all you want but if you don't put it into action we're just going to continue to regress right so what what are you what are people doing what are you recommending and what are we doing to get it down below one um so you know, uh, there's, there's two components. One is that we had the the shelter in place advisory, which was an advisory and, uh, and not a, an order, but effectively what it did was it said, you are not allowed for better, for lack of better terms, you're not allowed to go out right now. Um, and I think that that did a lot right? Unless you were what's called an essential worker. Um, Since that shelter in place advisory has been lifted, I think that the biggest thing that's, that's driven our continued low prevalence, and we really are at a low prevalence right now. Um, We've got decent testing here in Massachusetts. We've got rapid testing. Um, you know, I was talking to a friend in a different state today. Um, he said that their test turnaround um, is still five to seven days. Our test turnaround uh, is somewhere between, it depends, but somewhere between 30 minutes and 48 hours. Wow. Um, and so that's a, that's a huge, it's a huge um, part of this is testing. Um, okay, the other... Stay on that just for a moment. So why is the testing so important? What what makes a difference if you get a result in 30 minutes compared to six days? How does that make a difference? Um, so if I tell you, if I tell you, Dr. Joe, um, for the good of the people, I need you to stay in your house until, until we, we get this test result. And you say, well, I've got a job and we're not in the shelter in place stuff anymore. And you say, well, I've got a job. 
I've got to feed my family. I've got to go to work. I've got to do these things um, to to subsist. Um, it's a lot easier to tell somebody to hold off for 30 minutes, to, to hold off for 30 minutes, right. uh, or honestly for 24 hours, 48 hours, than it is to say, can you, can you sit in your house for seven days? And that's what we were doing here in Massachusetts back in uh, March, April, um, where we didn't have any tests. And we were really just telling people, you know, only come to the hospital if you're very, very, very sick. Um, at that point, we'll test you, but you're going to have to go either. You're either going to have to come into the hospital or you're going to have to go into quarantine for seven, ten days. Test turnaround. We were sending our tests to Utah. Um, there were you know, a handful of places that were able to run tests. And so you're asking people to literally not move until their test results come back um, positive or, or negative. Hmm. Wow. And now so we the, have. Go on. No, sorry. no, no, please. No, no. So the, I, I was, I was going to say the the other part of this, you know, is before we got into the testing aspect, I said there's the shelter in place issue, but there's also this um, this notion. I think that I don't know if it's because we've got you know a gazillion hospitals uh, in Massachusetts, in Boston, uh, anyway. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that I think that that here in Mass we have we have a lot of healthcare is sort of uh, uh, it's a major industry. It's not just uh, it's not just the hospitals. We've got um, pharmaceutical companies. We've got every aspect of healthcare here in Massachusetts, and so it, it's effectively a way of life. And public health is a huge. The Department of Public Health is an amazing uh, uh, government agency here in Massachusetts that. That I think people trust, um, by and large, and maybe I'm maybe I'm a little biased, but um, what I've seen is, uh, by and large, you know, people are heeding those preventive uh, advice measures. And I'm gonna say, you know, this is probably gonna um, be a little bit controversial, but we're heeding them better than some other states. Yes, we are. I mean, certainly that's what we hear in the news. And so these other states then, I mean, we don't need to get into the, the politics of, no. of any of this. And I, and I, you know, should stay away from it because really that's not what we're here for. We're here to talk about the, the virus and what to do and what we can do to, to keep each other safe. So people aren't listening in their other states because they don't trust the medicine or... You know, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to presume anything. I'd like to, um, I, I'd like to believe the best in people. I, you know, as hard as that is sometimes. Um, but I think that at, at the heart of it, I, I'm, we're, I think we're going to keep coming back to blood pressure um, for, for this hour. That's okay. it's just a nice analogy. Great. So um, if, if you feel bad, if you're having chest pain, you're having a heart attack, you're you have a you've got the flu, any of these things, it's really easy for you to follow advice um, because it's scary. We feel it. Um, there's these. It's sort of a natural response. Whereas 
when we tell people, you know, this is prevention, um, or we tell people we're treating something that you can't feel. Um, And a lot of this virus is what we've learned over the last four or five months is, um, uh, and and I think that it's important to dive into this, but a lot of this, a lot of people just have asymptomatic disease, right? So um, if we look at the numbers, um, most of us, there are four, there are four of us on the screen. And and generally I'd say somewhere around three of us are going to feel very little. If, we're, if all four of us are infected right this second, um, three of us are going to feel um, very little, maybe a minor sore throat, maybe a cold cough. Um, then another proportion, another uh, portion of, of, of us is going to have more severe symptoms, uh, not enough to necessarily get you hospitalized, but you're going to feel like you've got the flu. And by that, I mean sore throat, uh, runny nose, cough. Uh, I've had a lot of patients tell me that it feels like there's glass in their chest. Um, Very difficult to breathe. Some people have have had skin findings and painful toes and fingers and um, whatnot. And then there's about 15, uh, 11 to 15, 16% of us that that are going to be um, ill enough that we need to go to the hospital. Um, and then there's a, a portion of those that, that are going um, to die from this, which is higher. The portion that are dying from this um, it, it, uh, is higher than we see in, in other um, communicable viruses like influenza. Um, there are a lot of reasons for that, but part of it has to do with um, um, the one, the fact is, is that, um, this has an amazing, this virus has an amazing ability to attack, um, our immune system and, and use our immune system against us. Um, and, uh, and it's got an amazing ability to spread, um, even more so than, than the flu. When you talk about the, the varying, symptoms and the varying ways that it attacks people what why, why is that is it is it always based on the immune system or is it are there other factors or is it unknown still um so there there are a number of um of theories and i think that that's where we are right now is still in in the theoretical mode um and i think and and before we go into those theories i think that that's really hard for people, including me. <laughs> uh, what we like is to know, all right, well, you're having a heart attack because your heart is not getting oxygen. You've got a blocked artery. If we fix this part of it, your heart's going to get oxygenated blood and you're going to feel better. Um, I think that what's hard now is that, uh, and, what's, and, and what I think translates into fear and anger is this is it's novel and and anytime that there's something novel people want answers very quickly and because they're scared um and when we don't have them um that's frustrating and scary and and all of those things um and for for all of us doctors (laughs) doctors included um because 
more than anyone, I think we want doctors want answers too. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable to go to the hospital and say, I, I, I have nothing that I can tell you right now. Um, and, and are the range of those symptoms the reason that so many deaths are listed as coronavirus? What, like, because I know one of the controversial quote unquote talking points is that, like, say someone dies of a heart attack and, you know, it's officially listed as coronavirus death when that's not 100%, you know, uh, provable. Is it just a safer assumption that people will have contracted the virus and then die of a heart attack? Well, it's a good question. So uh, a study came out um, not too long ago that looked at the excess death, and I don't have the study right in front of me, but it looked at the excess deaths that were attributable over um, the, the March-April time period uh, in the United States. And what we actually found, what the, what the authors of that study actually found was that uh, coronavirus was still attributable to a large true coronavirus, you know, respiratory failure, um, something that was identified as we believe this is direct result of coronavirus because it is a respiratory illness um, and it causes respiratory failure. Um, some, and if I, I don't want to misquote numbers, but the number 65% is sticking in my head and I can look it up later, but effectively more than half of all of the excess deaths. So we expect a certain number of deaths to occur on a daily basis just because that's what happens. We, we have trends in, in deaths over time. And over, uh, over the March-April time period, there were excess deaths, deaths that we wouldn't have expected in normal times. 60-ish, 65% of those deaths were directly attributable to coronavirus. Which leaves the other, you know, thirty-five uh, percent. If I'm doing my math right in my head, and I'm not a mathematician, um, but I did it okay, I think. Um, that what the cause of death was listed as were heart attacks and strokes, and even in some cases things like Alzheimer's, um, and. So there were more deaths occurring in those two months than we would have expected from heart attacks. So something's happening, right? So something in those two months where we had this huge surge um, in New York and Louisiana and, and in Massachusetts and California, um, something is was attributing to those death, those heart attack deaths because it, those heart attacks didn't just sort of, the theory is, those heart attacks didn't just coincidentally also increase over March and April. It was happening because something else was going on. And so in some of those cases, it's possible, and the, the, the going thought is, that a lot of those heart attacks and certainly strokes, because we know heart attacks and strokes, we know um, this, is a this causes a hypercoagulability. So lots of people get clots um, that have coronavirus, and lots of people have inflammation in their heart. Um, or, or get heart attacks uh, that get coronavirus, this strain of coronavirus. So what we think is that not just were the excess deaths happening directly caused by renal respiratory failure, but also because of what coronavirus is doing to the rest of their body. So what does that imply then about this particular virus? It's coming in through the respiratory system through breathing, 
But then what happens? You talk about the immune response. To, what's the hypothesis? What's the speculation? What is it doing? Um, so there are, are, are a few hypotheses. The first is, and I think that though, um, and I'm not an immune, I'm not an immunologist. Right, right. So let's Got it. throw Got that it. out there. Okay. Um, I, I play one on the radio sometimes. Good. Um, okay, this is, and now I'm introducing your playing right. immunologist. Exactly. Um, so one of the things that we think we see is what's called the cytokine storm. And um, cytokines are part of our immune system. Um, some are good. A little bit is good. Um, but too much of a good thing is a bad thing. And what we, we're seeing a lot of, uh, we're very, in people who are very, very sick, um, very high temperatures and what we would call cytokine storms. So just so uh, sort of, if you imagine um, the battle scenes in Star Wars, that's what's going, you know, with all the lasers and um, lightsabers, that's what is going on inside the body. Um, and that's problematic, uh, to say the least, because at that point, it's not the virus that we need to hit. So we get a lot of it, right? The, there's been a lot in the press of hydroxychloroquine and remdesivir and all of these medications. Remdesivir is, a, is an antiviral. So it's good. It attacks the virus. But once the virus causes this cascade to happen, it's no longer the virus. And that's why there's so many trials that people might be seeing right now um, that are looking at um, uh, it, what are called immunomodulators. So things that you would give somebody with rheumatoid arthritis or in some cases cancer or uh, other immune, uh, immune disorders. Um, we're giving those to people because we're trying to modulate the immune system, not have it go all Star Wars on us. And um, at the same time, we're giving things like remdesivir to try to kill the virus. Yeah. And again, you know, for, for folks who know the Dr. Joe show, this is an IM, right? The body is responding the best it can to the invasion of this virus. The virus has invaded our home domain and our biological response, unfortunately, sounds like it's just too much. It's trying too hard to get rid of this virus. But that's interesting too, because that means also that the virus is somehow triggering this massive cytokine response. So, you know, you, you've been doing infectious disease. Let me, let me back up for a little bit for a moment with this. Where did that interest start for you? How did you get interested in doing infectious disease? Um, good question. Uh, I came to it um, when I was a, I'm a pretty big nerd. Um, <laughs> so there's, so, the, so that's sort of the, the first, that's the, um, you know, in, in law, there's necessary and sufficient. So it's- Is that right, Mark? It's necessary. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. Did, did okay. I get that right, Mark? Okay. <laughs> Uh, or, or in logic, I guess there's necessary insufficient. So it's necessary that you're a nerd to go into infectious disease. That's not sufficient. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but uh, when I was a resident, um, I really I became very um, very taken by um, by the community of people who were taking care of 
and who were infected with HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it is, um, and and I, I'm I'm a youngin, um, so I I very barely remember uh, a lot of the the 80s. I remember some of them. Um, I remember the 90s very vividly, but um, and I and I remember s- some of what was going on. Um, it wasn't in my full consciousness, um, but it had always been a fascination of mine. When I was a medical student and a resident, I was very taken by the fact that here was a group of people that were truly committed to the betterment of of people. They were just the most amazing and and um, and selfless and, um, I guess, um, uh, just motivated and empathic people that I had ever met. And I wanted to be part of that community. So that was the sufficient part of this, that I, I, I was a nerd and, uh, I wanted to be part of this group. Let's talk quickly about the masks though, because that's become somewhat of a, talking point for a lot of people of, of what, why are we wearing the masks? Is it to protect ourselves or to protect other people from us? And what, what does that even mean? Yeah. So, um, I think that one of the hard things and, and, uh, anybody that's watched any of, uh, Dr. Fauci's, um, who's just a, uh, if you ever have a chance to, to meet Dr. Fauci, he is, just he is truly an amazing human being um and uh i think one of the things that that he has said and and it takes a, a i think a very strong person to say this is the messaging up front was um was a little off and and more than a little off and and part of it was um we, we didn't know um i'll I'll not use the, um, the the term that I usually use. We didn't know um, our right hand from our left hand. Uh, <laughs> Is it rhyme uh, with armpits? So, okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> something like that. Um, we didn't know our left hand from our right hand. And um, also we were very, very low, truly on uh, personal protective equipment. And uh, seeing what was happening, we were, I think, very nervous that we weren't gonna have anything for healthcare workers. Um, and so when that messaging, it's hard to, it's hard to get that messaging back on track. Um, what we know thus far is that this is a respiratory virus. So the way I like to think about it is if you were to cough out a bubble, um, (laughs) just to visualize a bubble, um, those big bubbles, are gonna, um, if there's virus in there, because they're so big and filled with you know, liquid, they're gonna fall quickly. Gravity's gonna take hold, they're gonna fall. And so most of the time those, you cough and those, or, or you sneeze, and that's how this is projected. This is how it's, this is um, spread. Um, I sneeze on Mark and, um, um, or my three-year-old sneezes all over the place. And that's how that's how we get it because it goes directly onto me, or it goes onto the counter, and then I come or the doorknob or my three-year-old wipes her nose with her hand and then it, she touches the doorknob and then I come and grab it and touch my face. That's why all of this up front was try not to touch your face because it was the 
it, you know, it's so hard for us not to touch our face. I want to do it right now. Did you um, know Mark just did? Mark I've just been doing it the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, I wash my hands on them. <laughs> um, and it is so hard um, it is. to not do that. And so, but that's how it's predominantly spread is, is respiratory viruses. There's, there's new evidence and there's, I shouldn't say new, there's mounting evidence. Everything coronavirus is new evidence, right? Um, that's why it's novel. Um, but there's new evidence that suggests um, that there is aerosolization. So what that means is that um, there are smaller droplets that can come out when you cough or when you um, exhale very forcefully that aren't these big, big, huge droplets that are going to fall to the ground um, or, or fall, you know, under the counter, but that can be suspended in air for longer periods of time, because really it's just the, the virus floating there or part of the part of the virus floating there. And that is the concern. So this gets to the mask issue. Um, there's no evidence uh, that I know that it, um, that a cloth mask, and, and I could be wrong, um, there's there's no too little evidence that it really protects you but it protects other people i'm going to dispute myself though and i'm going to say that the mask does protect you because what it does is um instead of mark touching his face mark touches his mask interesting and so um if he's out and he's got a he's at the grocery store Sorry, Mark, I'm just going to make you the guy tonight. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I appreciate that. That's great. <laughs> we're, we're giving, you know, um, but you're the one at the grocery store. You, you grab, so not only if you're infected, it's trapping some of that virus behind the mask. So it's actually protecting other people. It's, a, it's creating a barrier and any barrier is better than no barrier. Right. Um, and so um, and I'm not suggesting that people wrap their face in cellophane, but um, but you know what I mean. Anything that you put in front is going to be better than nothing. Um, and so it's protecting other people if you are infected because you might sneeze. On the other hand, I do think that there's some. This is a personal opinion. This is not evidence based, but it, it logically, if I grab the the grocery cart and push it along and somebody was infected that um i that sneezed on that grocery cart before you grabbed it and then you go to scratch your face because that's what we do um you're going to scratch your mask not mm. scratch your nose not put your hand in your mouth not and so it is giving you it's not 100 percent, but i think it is probably giving you a little bit of a barrier of protection but i think you know i, I i've said this before um we were talking about this dr joe is that i personally think that there's just there's also something um and it, it's not a good enough reason and i know that and uh, there are a no number of people that have told me that it's not good enough but i wear my mask not because i i'm worried um not because i think that you know i'm at particular risk but i want people to know that like i as i pass them I have their best interest in mind that I don't know if this is the best thing. I, 
I don't. And it's hot. It's sweaty. It's disgusting. If I have to chew gum all the time because, you know, your breath starts to smell by two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, but I want I want to pass people. This is just how I am. I want to pass people on the street. I'm out for a run. I'll tell you, I, I wear my mask and I, I run in the woods and I may pass three people. And of course, I pull it down if I'm there's really nobody around. But by and large, it's it's on there. And it's so that just people know I I care that you I care about you. And I think that if there was a little, again, this is personal, my personal opinion. If we just, we just said, you know, I, I care about my fellow human beings just a little bit more. It, this whole quarantine thing that's terrible for everybody might be a little bit more tolerable. I, I could not agree more. Um, and wrote about this a while ago in Psychology Today, about like the face behind the mask, because yes, the mask does represent that you value somebody else. Because if so many people are asymptomatic, which means you may have the virus and not know it, that doesn't mean you're not contagious to other people. And so, yeah, wearing that mask uh, helps all these other people and it sends a message that from a psychiatry point of view the i think the the dilemma with it is that human beings are so used to looking at other people's faces for facial recognition cues about what they're feeling and thinking that we get a little anxious if we can't see someone's entire face and that's why it's even more important in the messaging for people to know that the simple act of wearing a mask means that behind that mask is a person that cares about you. That's a person that you can trust, that you don't have to mistrust. And, you know, traditionally, think about, you know, movies like Westerns and bank robbers. They're all wearing masks because they don't want to be recognized and identified. That is not the case here. And I, I think that, that that mask is one of the fundamental things you can do. And I'm wondering, doctor, is that part of why Massachusetts is doing better than some other states? What is, I mean, hypothesis. Um, I think that it's, I think that to say that it's all masks. Um, part of it. Is, I think it's part of it. And I can't, I can give you a percentage, but I think that it's part of it. And there's been very, on the whole, there's been less resistance here than there has in other parts of, of the country. Yeah, which is fascinating to me. I mean, I, people, I mean, we understand that, right? That that by wearing the mask, we're representing that we're protecting you. But I think there's a large majority of our population that is saying, I'm not afraid, so I'm not going to wear the mask. Right. It's, they're, not, they're not understanding that other element to it. Right. Right, they're not understanding that the mask is, is protecting others instead of just yourself. Right. But, or, but I think they don't this care. also needs to be explained because there, there is this sort of inconsistency to it. Um, if, if I'm wearing a mask that is protecting other people because the aerosol, whatever it is, is not coming out, why isn't that mask also protecting me from stuff coming in? You know, 
it's it's not to say that it's not it's to say that there's no evidence okay. so i i think that there's that's we, that's the biggest component right um and i i do think that um um when we and again i've said this before any barrier is better than no barrier mm -hmm. and one of the things that i think is important to to highlight here is masks aren't detrimental either and i and i i do understand um i may not agree but i do understand the um the stances of this is my personal space this is my personal liberty and 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 we can have that discussion what i do want to make sure that everyone knows is that you're not going to get carbon dioxide poisoning you're not going to get carbon monoxide poisoning you're not going to create global warming um and uh you're not at an increased risk of pneumonia you're not at increased risk of um of pretty much anything and, and even if you have um uh lung disease uh emphysema or um or copd see um congestive heart failure it's still important for you to it's actually more important for you to wear a mask right um uh, because there probably is some level of protection for you as well, but um, it's not going to exacerbate your your emphysema. It's not going to cause you to have uh, pneumonia. That's not how these infections work. Um, and so I, I think it's important to sort of dispel that myth because I think that that is out there and it's important. Um, I mean, we're getting our information from various sources and um and i know i recognize the irony of me saying there are a lot of people who claim to be experts um <laughs> right um claiming here to be an expert um but we can blame dr joe for saying that i'm an expert um, yeah, there we go yep I'm, uh, I'm happy to take the heat on that one yeah so <laughs> i believe it tom did you want to say something yeah i want to circle back to um ppe and the worry about supply um, so when the World Health Organization started coverage in, say, early February, I think they were covering earlier than that, but it started saying, don't worry about masks, don't buy masks. Dr. Fauci said this, don't buy masks. And retroactively, people are saying, well, it was because they were worried about the supply. Do you, do you guys actually get the masks from retail, retail stores? Like, does it come from the same supply that people would go to, like, Walgreens or CVS? So, um, the the short, so, again, I'm not a, I, I've unfortunately had to learn more about supply, PPE supply in the last three months than I thought I'd ever need to know. Um, and there are people who are definitely better about this than I am. But the short answer is, yeah. Um, you know, uh, if, if a considerable amount of our PPE um, and we're just let's use surgical masks and, and N95s because those were the that was the thing that everybody was worried about. A considerable amount of those um, are uh, are made overseas and in countries where uh, they happen to also be hit fairly hard by the coronavirus. <laughs> there was real concern. Um, not just real concern, but the reality was that we had zero, we not just, you know, and I'm not speaking just my hospital, just broadly, there was real concern that we weren't going to be protected. I had, I 
I, and I'll tell you, um, I think that the Boston Medical Center did an amazing job at, at working this, through the system and finding supply chains and finding new supply chains. Um, when all of this hit, I had family members who were who said um, who were literally sending me, uh, you know, three or four masks that they said, I don't know if you can use these. I had I had my my ski goggles. I had my ski goggles ready. Um, because we were we were worried that we weren't going to have face shields, um, and so you're right. The the messaging early on was really hard, at, at be, or, or coming back from that early messaging of "Don't buy masks, don't worry." It's it was, I think, multiple fold. One was that we didn't know, and that's the hard thing. Um, and second is that. Um, there was real concern of you know just buying up all of the supply um just like toilet paper um but <laughs> toilet paper you can find other ways you can't really um figure out a new a new n95 but doctor what my goal of 2020 was to be enormously optimistic at all times. And, uh, you know, it's been challenging with, with all of this, but what can we be optimistic about going forward with therapies and, and vaccines and all that? Yeah. Yeah. I know, Mark, you wanted to talk a little bit about vaccines. Um, so, um, listen, the, the, we, we by and large, um, gotten back to some semblance of uh or or readjusted to a, a a normalcy a new normalcy right um what i will say and what the most optimistic this is hopefully the most optimistic thing you can hear <clears throat> is that um every smart person this that that works in vaccine development that works in um, therapeutic development, and I'm not talking about just pharmaceuticals. Like this is all of academics. Every every person that is somehow involved in these uh, realms of of science um, have at least refocused some of their effort towards this global um, need, and that I. I when I was more sleep deprived and exhausted and very emotional early, earlier during this, like the surge, that was the, the most emotional thing for me to think about here. Every person on the face of the earth was, was focusing their attention on one goal. And that when you like, when you take a second and think about it, and and I hope that at least somebody listening says, "Oh, that you know, you're you're right. I could probably wear a mask." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that that's the goal right. here is is that, um, or I could probably wash my hands a little bit more. Um, every person put everything on pause. Everyone in medicine, everyone in um, in in, um, in every health science field, put everything on pause yep. to work on this. That's right. Um, and that's why we're we are we're in a um, fast tracking vaccines right now. Um, I was looking at the trials. Or one of them was just published in the New England Journal. Um, 
there are very few adverse, if any, adverse events, and they're very minor adverse events, like it hurt when I got the shot. Um, and um, we're seeing some uh, enough robust immune response um, that makes me a little bit optimistic. Um, we're not seeing the amount of reinfections yet, fingers crossed, that um, I, I certainly was expecting. Um, we're, we're making a lot of progress in clinical trials. We're starting and stopping clinical trials. As so we're starting them at record pace. I mean, we haven't seen this sort of record pace clinical trial initiation since the late eighties, early nineties with, um, HIV. Um, and so we're having, we have this enormous push and when we see that not, that something scientifically doesn't work, the trial gets closed, you move on. And that's what's happening. Trials get closed because we've got data safety monitoring monitoring boards. People who are external to the trials have nothing to do with them. Look at the data and say, "It's not working. We're done." Um, and they shut down the trial. And this is this is happening at record speed because people are getting enrolled, and we're getting data as fast as humanly possible. I will also say that the other thing to be optimistic of is that. The science community is not known for being um, particularly uh, open with sharing resources and data and um, working together. And um, that's just, that's not the case right now. Um, there's There are very few silos. And of course, everybody wants to be, I'm not a vaccine researcher, but everybody wants to be the person to develop the vaccine because that's a Nobel Prize. But I do know that there are consortiums and there are people working together like we've never seen. Yeah. So hopefully that's a little optimism. You know, and it does speak to who we are as a human race, is that we can mobilize and come together as one group. But unfortunately, it's usually because we're faced with a common enemy. Maybe we'll be able to come together as a group without having to have an enemy to do it. But that's for another show. We've got a couple of minutes left. Um, towards the end of our show, we talk a bit about the IM and the two rules. The first rule of the IM, because the four domains interconnect of your home, your social domain, your biological domain, and the IC, how you see yourself, how you think other people see you, small changes can have big effects. We've spoken a little bit about some of the changes, but can we just list through real quick, what are the small changes, the fundamentals that people can do to protect themselves and others from Corona? Yeah. Um, I'm going to say the easiest thing, the easiest thing first, if you feel ill, stay home. Yeah. So staying home, if you feel ill, stay home, just do it. Most important, maybe tough because we like to tough our way through things, but stay home. Great. Stay yeah. home. <clears throat> and, and what I'll say is in other times, you know, so many of us say we got a sore throat. It's not a big deal right, right now. If you have a sore throat, we have to assume that it's coronavirus. Stay home, call your doctor. That's the easiest thing um, that, that you can do. Um, the second easiest thing is wash your hands before and after you leave the house. Before mm -hmm. protects other people, after protects you. Great, love it. Um, and, and having a bottle of hand sanitizer in, in the car doesn't hurt. Same, same rationale. Um, we always forget about the one or the other, um, because we're just so used to, you know, washing our hands after we use the bathroom. 
we don't wash our hands before we use the bathroom. Um, but this is different. Uh, the third is um, really trying as best you can to keep your distance. And uh, there's this there's this discussion of social versus physical. We want you to be social human beings. We want you to interact, but we want you to do it at a distance. Um, and that's hard because we're not we're social people and we like hugs. Um, I've got your back just six feet apart. Yes. Okay. Right. And then finally, um, uh, probably on par with the, the physical distancing is wear a mask. Um, wear a mask when you're, uh, I say all the time because it's a habit. It's a behavior. It's hard to, to get into a new behavior. So even if you're out in the woods taking a run and you're by yourself, wearing that, it just it helps you be better at it when you should be. And what about wiping things down? Should they be doing that too? You know, um, we do it all the time, mostly because we've got a seven-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old, and everything's always disgusting. Um, but, uh, <laughs> right. but yeah, um, Clorox wipes. Um, you don't have to go crazy, um, but wipe things down. And I know we have, we have Ben is just about to cut us off, but the second rule, you control no one, you influence everyone. Dr. Brock, what kind of influence are you hoping to be on people? Um, I, you know, uh, the, the most I can hope for is that at least one person, we, we, when we have this discussion, one person prevents one infection somehow. And I don't know if it's going to happen, but I got to have faith that it will. That's great. Folks, we're all in this together. Let's keep doing it. We'll be back next week. Back to the doctor. Hi, Mark. Bye, Tom. Bye, Tom.